I'm Manda, and together we're Black Compat. We're a growing community focused on diversity, inclusion, representation, conversation, and fun on Twitch. Wanna be fam? For chill community vibes, Wednesday nights at 7, join BC Row for the Wednesday wind down. Friday nights, join us for Let's Plays where we explore narrative and single player campaign games. Stop by on Fridays at 7. Catch our flagship podcast, The Tribunal, live every other Sunday at 3 p.m., where we talk about issues that are important to us as Black women. Issues like representation, inclusion, diversity, and more within the video games and entertainment industries. Check our channel and social handles to find out when a new tribunal is going to drop. We've got even more content on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter handles, and our website, blackcompat.com. So join in the conversation in whatever way you like at Black and Pat. Remember, always and never or. All times are Eastern. And now, the Boston Bastard Brigade on the street in Wicked Anime and Black Compat proudly present Duckamuck in Japan. Bastards and wenches, welcome to episode three of Duckamuck in Japan, a cultured choke slam. I am your king baby duck, Evan Borgo, coming to you live, or rather via recording, in Tokyo, Japan. Good to have you back here in my realm. And joining me, as always, is our Pokemon Master Elite Four, Derek. Hey, how's it going, guys? The creator of Solarian Sun, AFLM. Oh, that's me. Fellow teacher and lover of all things Tetris, John Starr. I'm watching Tetris. And finally joining us here on Duckamuck in Japan is our head honcho, the tallest man in all of Massachusetts, security guy Greg. Hola. Yeah, good to have all of you here. But uh, before we begin with the show, um, so I have a bit of a confession to make. I have committed a grave sin, and it's a sin that I just feel just so horrible and yucky about. Yucky. Very yucky. So, here's my sin. I went into a pachinko parlor. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) How dare. I know. So, like, as some of you listeners may recall, I have a pachinko parlor that is right down the street from my apartment. And, like, it was just taunting me and, like, teasing me. And, like, even though I know I hate this game so much, it was, like, making me feel curious to check it out. So, I uh, walked inside, saw what it was all about. It was super noisy. There were prizes that ranged from food to what I would like to describe as doohickeys involved. And I was walking around and then I saw it. A machine in the pachinko parlor that I just had to put money in to see if it was worth the cash. And I am, of course, talking about the automatic hot drink machine. <laughs> Did you win? <laughs> um, yeah, I won 90 yen worth of hot cocoa, and it oh, tasted right. <laughs> just like the kind I had at the Christmas tree farm I used to go to. 
It's, it's like it's Swiss it's like, Miss. <laughs> yeah. So like yeah, I visit I visit the pachinko parlor every day, you know, to pick up my cup of joe. <laughs> kind of. But speaking of which, I have to say, coffee here is kind of weak sauce in Japan. Like, it does not wake me up as much as American coffee does. That's because we do everything way over the limit. I know. (laughs) I know. And the funny thing is, so apparently when you order, quote unquote, American coffee in Japan, the caffeine level is weaker than the regular Japanese blend. That's interesting. Oh. So I it's like a reverse sort of thing. I thought they would just make it taste worse. That's just what they do. <laughs> yeah. American blend. Let's got to grab that Dunkin'. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh, no, what a shame. Coffee that tastes bad. That's horrible. It's how almost could, like you're drinking coffee or something. How, how could they do this? <laughs> well, I mean, have you guys ever heard of an Americano before? <sighs> yeah. But probably, yeah. Americano. So do you know what it is? No. Uh, no. Tell us. Okay, so basically, starting in like World War II, all the American soldiers would go over to Europe. They'd say, can I get a cup of coffee? They'd come back with espresso. And the Americans were like, no, 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 what the hell is this? I want a big cup of coffee. I want it full. So they took the espresso to the back, put it in a bigger cup, just added a fuck ton of water to it, brought it back and goes, here's your American coffee. That sounds about right. yeah, that so right. that's what Americano. There's your coffee lesson for the day. That's yeah, a, that's on that's on par with uh, with European douchebaggery. So you know. <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking of coffee, so as some people know, in Starbucks in Japan, they have all the best frappuccinos, and they're like the exclusive frappuccinos that you do not get in the American Starbucks. Derek, is it okay if I mention this? Oh, yeah, you get, like, cherry blossom ginger crack over there or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mentioned your line of work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Derek works at a Starbucks, and, like, I'm constantly bugging him. Like, every time I go and try the Japan-exclusive drinks there, I'm like, hey, bug your American <laughs> Starbucks to bring this here. Because right now they're offering, let's see, the chocolate mousse latte... Which, <laughs> it first tastes like a regular latte, but then you get to the bottom of it, and there's actual legit chocolate mousse at the bottom, and it tastes so good. I imagine that everybody drinking that looks like a dog trying to get, like, the the rest of something out of it. They're just, like, the long tongue, like, just trying to get the rest of the mousse out of the bottom there. Kind of. Um by the time I reach the mousse, it's already kind of liquefied, so it is kind of easy to drink. And then the other thing they're offering right now is known as, and I do have to say it like this, it's the Boo Frappuccino. Oh, I saw that on your Facebook this morning. That was yes, funny. So it is a <laughs> it's um it's a chocolate frap with pumpkin spice jelly on the bottom. It is actually, it's, listen, listen, (laughs) I, uh, Greg, listen, if, if I was living in America and didn't try it, I would have the exact same reaction as you. That just, uh, oh, that sounds bad. Polar opposite. It actually tasted really good. I don't believe that because in America, we load everything with the max amount of sugar possible so it would taste absolutely delicious. But in Japan, as far as I understand, they are so much more health conscious, so I cannot imagine. Well, that's the thing about Japan is that they're healthy, but they still find ways to make it tasty. 
Okay. Trust me. Would I lie to you, dude? Would I lie to you? Well, I guess it depends on the situation and, you know, factoring in for things. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, there's a relative rating for quote unquote healthy. We're talking about we're, we're, we're talking about this as if Japan like only makes health food. But I mean, come on. It's still like a sugar coffee drink. <laughs> I, I mean, this morning for breakfast, I had a big loaf of bread with cheese baked into the middle of it. Oh, oh my gosh! So healthy, so healthy. Well, I guess it, I guess that's a fair point because now I'm remembering that they have KFC there that's open on Christmas. So yeah, that makes sense. Well, and they have all kinds of candy and uh, you know ramene and like they they have their fair amount of junk food over there. But I, I still feel like nacho too. <laughs> mm. I, I feel like their junk food is probably healthier than our healthy food here. I mean, you're talking in a relative sense, like, because junk food is still junk food. Yeah, right? junk food like, is still so it's, it's still bad for you, but, you know, it's 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 how much sodium they put into it, it's how much sugar they put into it. Like, that's 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 all I'm saying. Right, right. which yeah. is um very little of the sodium, very little of... Well, they barely put any high fructose corn syrup into it because I think that's the thing is like with the, with the junk food and the fast food, it doesn't have like the chemicals in the food that still make you feel hungry after eating them. I know that this is very on topic for talking about Japan and cultural stuff, but this gives me flashbacks to when we used to record Wicked Anime and say, eventually we talk about anime on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I still had questions about the Pachingo Parlor, but we went down this awesome rabbit hole. <laughs> um, Greg, the less you know about the Pachinko Parlor, the better. Well, so it wasn't about the specific one that you went to because I've actually seen a couple of videos on Japanese p pachinko parlors. Yeah. But one question that I wanted to ask since you are actually physically there is, is it true that a as a prize in a pachinko parlor, you cannot receive cash payouts because it's illegal to gamble? So yeah. you have to like go to a different building potentially to cash out? We talked about yeah, this had, on one of the previous yeah, episodes, actually. We did. Yeah, I, I discovered. I, I did explain the um, the gambling loophole. I think it was last episode. Yeah, last I think episode. it was the first. Oh, oh, I, I thought it was the first. Episode. I wasn't around. No, no, it, it's totally fine because it's because you because the funny thing is is you touched on an exact topic that you are correct about. You like yes, you are you are absolutely correct, Greg. That is a thing that where where. Uh, where yes, you 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 can take your pachinko winnings, which are worth absolutely nothing, and exchange them in a store that's like across the street for, for cash. What do I win? <laughs> Balls. No. Balls. Need any more? <laughs> but yes, we do start talking about culture in this episode because the episode title is a cultured. Choke slam. Today, I'll be talking about my experience at my first high school, junior high school cultural festival, and I talk about visiting a specific museum in Ropungi. And from the choke slam aspect, I went to my first Japanese pro wrestling event. Now, oh I was God. also supposed to talk about Sports Day, too, but. They had to cancel sports day at my high school because too many kids have been out with the flu. 
So, like, they aren't able to hold it. So, I don't know if it's outright canceled or they postponed it. I'm still waiting to hear whether or not we're actually going to have one this year. And I'm oh, kind of wow. bummed about that. Yeah, for no sure. Wants to watch C-string. Yeah. Yeah. How, how big is the, the high school, Evan, if that many kids are out? Um, there's a, I would say there's about a thousand kids at this school. So it's both a junior high school and a high school. And I teach wow. the, the first years and the second years of the junior high school. Wow. And that, so enough st- out of a thousand kids, enough called out that they had to cancel. That's pretty, that's severe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's at the point where it's like, there's at least 10 kids out sick with the flu each day, uh, in each oh class, in each class. So like, yeah. Um, I'm glad I got my flu shot the other day, so I should be safe. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, it's, it's never a guarantee. Strain. It's never a guarantee. <laughs> Pumping you full of a dead strain. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so before we talk about all of that stuff, I do have a couple of shout outs to give. The first I want to talk about is... Rocket Panda Games. Now, Rocket Panda Games are a fairly new uh, game publishing company, and they are responsible for releasing the Phantom Breaker series in America, and I think right now across the world now. And I was actually invited to a party of theirs at Tokyo Game Show. And it was on a very fancy boat where they showed off a trailer for the new Phantom Breaker Battlegrounds Ultimate game, which is the latest in the side-scrolling arcade beat-em-up, which is being built from the ground up, so not just a remastering of the original, and it's going to have eight-player cross-platform co-op. And the trailer was cool. Got the chat with people from Crunchyroll, OdaQuest, Limited Run Games, uh, fellow, fellow podcasters and YouTubers from Japan. And we enjoyed eating some very high-class sushi and all-you-can-drink booze and soda. That that sounds like a good time. I I want to play that game though. Like that. Like out of all of the things that you said, I was like, man, that game sounds awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So I rem- I actually reviewed the original Phantom Breaker Battlegrounds like ten years ago, when another publisher had released it, and they released this game without releasing the. <laughs> the actual 2D fighter that this was spun off on. So like, I had no idea who any of these characters were, but I had a really good time playing the game. So like, I'm excited about this new version that's coming out. Yeah, yeah I hear eight player co-op platformer and I just think utter chaos. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Side scroll and beat him up too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, and, uh, and the fact that it's cross platform makes it so accessible. That's pretty neat. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you can play with your, so people on the Switch can play with the Xbox and uh, PS5 and PC people, so like it's great because that way you don't have to worry about having to buy one, uh, multiple versions of the game to play with all your different friends who ha- may have different consoles. Yeah, but you say that like a game is going to come out for the PS5 though. What do you mean? Oh, no, I'm, that was just a, a poor joke that no games are out for the PS5. <laughs> And you say that as I'm staring at the new PS5 that I bought. <laughs> Sorry, you don't have any games. 
<laughs> Sorry about a paperweight. <laughs> I actually sold mine off. That's a sad part. Yeah, you almost sold that one to me, Greg. But you had the only the digital version, and I wanted the one with the discs. Yeah, the physical. Yeah. I, I wish I had the physical, but it was just so much cheaper. I know. F- fair enough, fair enough. And the other shout-out I want to give is to a rock band called The Emeralds. Now, The Emeralds, their nickname is the Samurai Rock and Roll Trio. And they opened up for our friends at Tsushima at the Sunken Jaya Heaven's Door venue. Now, The Emeralds used to be part of the South by Southwest Japan Night Tour. And they came to the former TT the Bears back in 2006, 2007, and 2008. I know you guys went to Sonya, but have you guys ever experienced what TT the Bears was like? No. No. Good old-fashioned rock club. You go in there, you smell the beer-stained walls, and you're like, this is rock and roll. Oh, man. That reminds me of uh, Fire... What was it? Firestone? Fire... Yeah, the Firestone. Uh, I think it was the... I don't know. Uh, yeah, fire some place, some place in Florida that's not there anymore. But it was gross. You, yeah, yeah, it's gross. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the Emeralds. This was their first show in seven years, and they still sounded as great and tight and wild as they did when I first saw them many, many years ago. And after their set, I showed their bassist Osuke. A picture that we took at the Japan Night 2007 gig. So this is a picture from us from 16 years ago. And he, like, his eyes wide, he just jumped at me, gave me a huge bear hug. And he called (laughs) over all the other band members. He called over Aiko, the drummer, the frontman, Kazuya. We all took a picture. We didn't... the, The one regret about this picture is we didn't try to do, like... We didn't try to do the same poses as we did in the old picture. That would have been cool. But we took a great picture with with everybody together. I, and I saw the picture, though. It was pretty close. It yeah. was pretty close. And, yeah, great times with them. I'm hoping that they play more shows again. I hope they record new songs because they haven't had anything new music-wise since the 2008 album Love is Rolling. Hmm. Uh, but they put on a great set. I'm actually now Facebook friends with Kazuya and his uh, his wife, and the two and the three of us might actually meet up for lunch sometime in the future because they want to oh, better wow. their English skills, so they <laughs> m- want to talk to a teacher. <laughs> oh, rock on, dude! That's awesome. Yeah, and there were some great sets, of course, from Sushi Mami Ray, uh, and also the former front woman of the group Kokeshi Doll, uh, who has a new project called Kuchi Kuchi Yoi. Uh, which is basically like a one-woman pop show or like indie pop. Good times, good times. Um, if you want to check out when our friends Sushi Mami Ray are going to be playing again, uh, October 21st, Stone Free Fest at Club 251 in Shibo Kitazawa. They'll be playing alongside Bo Peep, The Jungles, and Ginny Oops. And then in November, they'll be touring America, the West Coast, unfortunately, just in that area. East Coast tour, probably in 2024, which will coincide with the band's 25th anniversary. Wow. Good stuff. All right. So we're going to do a new segment on this show, and it's basically 
an ask me anything, or rather an ask duck anything. And I think Derek is the one that, that came up with this idea. So with you guys being over there in America, you're probably curious about what I've been experiencing here in Japan. So round, <laughs> gee, thanks. <laughs> so round Robin, um, in alphabetical order. So Andrew, Derek, Greg, and John Starr, each of you get a chance to ask me, let's do three questions each about my experiences here in Japan. Oh, goodness. Three questions that sounds like a long time. Okay, how about that? Since it's four people, since I have the whole gang here, two questions each. Two questions. That That's better, yeah. Two questions each. <laughs> okay, two questions. Let's change that. Ask me two questions. So, Andrew, you first. Gosh, I don't. I, I, I just got this sprung on me. I don't know what questions I want to ask. Uh, make me last in the order. I mean, I gotta, I gotta think a moment. Oh, okay. I got one. I got one. But your third, your third, Greg. Oh, Kurt's my first name. <laughs> Our right. last name should have been the lead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, Derek. Yes. Okay. So it's unfortunate the sports festival got either canceled or postponed. Mm-hmm. But what is biggest sports focus that you've seen in Japan since you've been there? Ah, definitely a toss-up between soccer and baseball. Now, I don't see much uh, soccer on TV right now, uh, but, you know, a lot of baseball on TV, a lot of people wearing, wearing, like, baseball jerseys and such. But going around stores, there's a big focus on soccer. That's a really good question. It actually gives me it gives me my second question because I had one question already, but I, I now I have a second question. So uh, okay, you're fourth in the order. So yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Calm down. Greg's right. gonna answer his first. Okay, Greg. Okay, if uh, let's see, if you had to do one thing or the other, would you? <laughs> I can't even get my. <laughs> go ahead, John. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go I'm ahead. trying to tell. You. No, I'm trying to tell a joke, but I'm one of those that, like, if I think it's funny, I'll laugh before I can get it out. <laughs> it's, it's really stupid, so John Stark can just go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, so the first question that I had in mind was, um, have you seen any old penny-style, like, Degashi-Kashi, like, snack stores, and have you tried anything from them yet? Actually, no. I actually have not found any of the old style Degashikashi kind of candy stores. I've hey, been looking. Homework. I have been looking, believe me. And like, I've been coming up empty every time I go in the area. Um, maybe when I meet up with uh, my friend later today, um, she can show me maybe one of those old style stores if it's in her vicinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to know. Like if it's all worth the hype, you know, for sure. You know, we used to do the snack thing and I'm still like, you know, living vicariously through you about Japanese snacks. I'll never come here. So <laughs> I'm still come right here. Yeah. All right. Andrew, do you have a question now? Sure. OK, so so now that you uh, we're, we're all very familiar with Japanese culture and you we kind of talked about all the things that you have done. But is there something that you have not done yet that is on your itinerary that you're that you're most looking forward to? Ooh, can't that say snacks. Um, so and it doesn't have to be something extravagant. It can right. be it can be something like, oh, I want to do this little thing. I haven't ridden the train yet. 
Yeah, I haven't <laughs> been to Conveyor Belt Sushi yet. <laughs> so, actually, no, that's one. I have not done Conveyor Belt Sushi yet. I would love oh, to try so, it. That sounds so great. great. I love, dude, I love Conveyor Belt Sushi. It's the best. I would love to try that. And I haven't done this yet, but I will be doing it in December because I'm being given a free ticket through the JET program. I'm going to a Kabuki show. Oh, oh sweet. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I've always wanted to check out a Kabuki show. I'll be seeing it. And when I do check it out, I will totally have a report on it. Nice. What about um, now Now there's a, now you're doing a Kabuki show, but are you going to be able to do a, uh, a Roku show? Like, uh, st- like, like their stand-up storytelling style. Ah, Rakugo, Rakugo. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to check out Rakugo too. Um, there are some theaters in the Tokyo area where it's that specialized. So maybe I might check it out sometime. But I think I would have to go with a Japanese friend so they could be yeah. like, whispering into my ear and be like, "Okay, this is why oh, this is funny." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really feel like you need to be well versed in the language in order to understand Rakugo. Yeah, well, yeah. especially because it's so cultural. They're they're like specifically cultural things that they talk about in that style of comedy. So it's, it's like, wow, it's funny now that you've explained it to me. Yeah, that's um because it's still very popular. There's there's a manga series called Akane Banashi, which is huge. Like, there hasn't even been an anime announcement yet, and there are so many of the uh, gacha uh, gacha games where you can try to win, like, Akane Banashi keychains. Like, it's, like, cool. super popular. So, odds are it's going to get an anime adaptation because it's a Shonen Jump manga, and mm-hmm. a little secret, most Shonen Jump manga have anime in the works, they just have not announced them yet. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there you go. Alright, Greg, you didn't ask your question yet, so can you yeah. try to ask I, it without laughing? Yeah, no, so I was, I was trying to be funny and tell a really bad joke, so but I do have a serious question. Um, I watch a lot of YouTube and to preface this, and a lot of things that I watch sometimes are is this channel, um, Pablo from Tokyo. And one of the things he mentions is that if a foreigner goes over there, um, is it can be very hard for the foreigner to live there because Japanese might not appreciate um, outside cultures trying to come in and, and mesh. So as a foreigner, has it been hard for you to uh, kind of assimilate into the Japanese culture. H- has anyone treated you poorly over there, or have you had a better experience? I've definitely had a much better experience than uh, Pablo from Japan has. Like, I have not had a bad experience here in Japan. Everyone's treated me nice and kindly. Everyone's been super helpful, and I've been able to um, mesh into the Japanese culture fairly well because this is the culture that I really want to experience. I'm not trying to like push my American views or my American culture into Japanese culture because I don't want to. Like I'm here in Japan. I want to live the Japanese way. I don't want to live the American way. And I think with that sort of attitude as well, um, I have not had any issues whatsoever with uh, Japanese people, you know, side-eyeing me or giving me a hard time. Everybody here has been super nice, super helpful, and, you know, 
I've actually felt more comfortable living here uh, than living in America, to be honest with you. They did side eye you that one time you tried to commit seppuku in public, but you know, oh, we're, we're past that part. <laughs> um, no, so oh, I man, I was t- I'm sorry, Mood. I, I'm just, I'm just so mad that I can't find any Takagi-san merch, man. It's like, is this a life worth living if I can't have anything Takagi-san related? <laughs> I am born and I am going to kill myself. <laughs> Left then up, not up then left. <laughs> I guess I didn't preference uh, preface my question correctly, so I, I feel like a lot of foreigners who go there, and maybe I'm just you know, I, I feel that they aren't trying. I'm speculating, yeah, that they aren't trying to necessarily offend Japanese folks, but that they're just trying to be friendly, and they they still get like side eyed. So I didn't well, know if. Go ahead. Um, uh, you are correct that um, well, one uh, we talk about this a lot is is Japan is very cultural homogenous, mm-hmm. and they also are still quite xenophobic, which is fine. That's part of their culture. They want to keep their culture the same. That's yeah. fine. Um, and there are still a lot of Japanese establishments over there that do not serve foreigners. Like there are signs on establishments that say we do not serve foreigners. Oh wow. Uh, so that that yeah. is a thing. That yeah, is, yeah, that is very much a thing. Wow. Okay. But I haven't starved. I'm good. I'm okay. If I ever come across one of those signs, I'm like, all right, I'll just go to the restaurant next door. They'll take my business. Yeah. Well, you see, and a and a big thing that you're doing, Evan, is one, you have a job, so you have a place in the society. Yeah. Two, you you live in Tokyo, which is a tourist heavy metropolitan area Mm -hmm. so so they're more used to having foreigners coming in and out all the time they may not like it but they they are you know within that culture of oh this is the place where foreigners go so it's not like a foreign concept that somebody from a different culture would be there yes very true very true did I answer your question properly, Greg, not Evan? <laughs> well, I think you both kind of answered it, so I will give credit to both of you. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right, Derek, what's your second question? All right. Uh, would you rather uh, have unlimited sushi but don't understand Japanese, or you can understand Japanese, you can only understand Japanese, but you can't understand Japanese? I don't do think you, I understand the question. Yeah, I do not. <laughs> Sorry, that was a joke I stole from another podcast I listen to sometime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, no, my actual question is, uh, are there any upcoming holidays or festivals that you're looking forward to? Ooh, question. good question. Um, there are... S- Let me think. Nothing... Not really any big holidays that I can think of. Um... Yeah, there really aren't many holidays that are coming up, but I do have practically like four weeks off of vacation coming up sometime in December. Ah, nice. That's awesome. <laughs> four weeks. Holy crap. Yeah. So basically when I, at the school I work at, I get like from the second week of December to the first week of January off, I get the entirety of March off and I get the entirety of July and August off. And that's not what? even counting like Golden Week in in May mm-hmm. and all the other Japanese holidays. So I get at least four months of vacation, paid vacation. 
That's great. What are you going to do? Travel. Whatever I want. Exactly. Whatever I want. Pachinko. You know. <laughs> it's going to all be the pachinko parlor. <laughs> Next thing you know, Evan's going to be like smoking and drinking at a. <laughs> he's just he's like spending all of his money that he makes in the pachinko parlors. Like right. I, told, I said, I hated it, but you know, <laughs> I don't got time for love. <laughs> all right, John, what's your second question? Uh, it, you know, funny enough, uh, Derek's question actually sparked a third question for me, so I almost w- wish that I didn't hassle you to say two. Um, <laughs> but my my second question is, there is a huge culture of anime and manga, obviously, in America. Yeah. I, I've always, always, always been curious. We speculated this on our podcast, but we've never really had proof. What kind of presence does American pop and nerd culture have over there? Ooh, that is actually a really good question. So, there really isn't much. I mean, I, I the other day I was walking around Roppongi, and of course they had, like, advertisements for John Wick 4, which, by the way, it's not John Wick Chapter 4. It's called John Wick Consequences. Huh. What? Interesting. Full yeah. life consequences. John Wick Consequences. That is the title of the fourth movie. Um... <laughs> But there really isn't much American pop culture showcase, but there are shops. And I think Andrew can vouch because he saw it himself when he went to Nakuno Broadway. There are shops that are specifically uh, marketing American pop culture things like American action figures and American like movies, that sort of stuff. But as a whole, um, maybe it is going back to the whole homogenous aspect. Japanese culture and Japanese pop culture tends to stick with Japanese pop culture. Yeah, because part of me has always wondered, like, we have Anime Boston over here. Do they have a Japan Comic Con, you know? I mean, they do, but again, they focus more on Japanese properties than American properties. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. All right, Andrew, your last question. Uh, hey, Jonathan, what was your third question that you had? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> is that allowed? Can we do that? Yeah, sure. Okay, so uh, this one is a little bit more somber, I do have to admit. But um, Thanksgiving's coming up. It's an American-only, uh, you know, holiday. Are you going to miss it? Um, I'll kind of miss it. The funny thing is there's actually a Japanese holiday that falls on it, too, so I do get the day off. Um, I forget what the holiday was, but, um, you know, I'll miss the food and I'll miss the family, but eh, it's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. Okay. Okay. Don't seem too sad about it. I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, I I also would not be too sad about missing Thanksgiving. (laughs) 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 To, To be fair. To be fair, I would be yeah. fine with it. So, yeah. and I guess Greg, your final question. Oh, that's a tough one. I are you gonna know. miss Christmas? <laughs> I know you are gonna miss. No, that's no, not true. They still make Christmas over there. Did they yeah. still make Christmas? Dude, dude, the Notori store by me is already showcasing Christmas stuff. 
I've already seen a Christmas commercial this year on TV. It's, that's bad. bad. That's because you're uh, married and you still watch TV. So how is uh, oh man? This might be a basic question, but I just I just don't know. How is the day to day life different uh, over there from here? If that kind of makes sense. Vaguely the same, I would say. Uh, the only difference between my life in America and my life in Japan is definitely I walk a lot more. Gotcha. So instead of use, so you know, I use the subways, of course, but like I tend to walk a lot more than you even use public transportation. Oh wow! You know, if you met us at the train station back home, it was like. A 15 minute walk which i thought was forever so mm-hmm. you walk even more than that um <laughs> well it's not like i, I don't eight walk minutes. that long to actually i'm an eight minute walk from my train station here in senkawa so uh i'm not walking as much when it comes to getting to public transportation but when i'm walking around say akihabara or shibuya or ikibukuro like, I am really tallying up my steps, as it were, uh, to the okay. point where, like, you know, my diet hasn't really changed much, but because I'm walking so much more, I'm burning so much more calories by doing so. There you go. And what's, your, uh, what's your top-rated store in Akihabara so far? My top-rated store so far in Akihabara? Hmm... So I don't know the name of it, and, but because it's like kind of like a back. So like right near the train station, there's like this back alley with all these small shops. And I found this one guy who's selling all this Yurukan stuff, all this laid back camp stuff. And like, I've actually bought quite a few things from him because that's stuff that I actually haven't been able to find at like an animate or a gamer store or any of the other main shops that sell anime. So that's kind of been my go-to uh, specifically for that uh, anime because it's one of my all-time favorites. That was uh, that was one of the fun parts was was finding the like all the hideaway shops in Akihabara because because Akihabara really doesn't seem like it's that big of a place. But when you then you realize you're spending hours like you, I spent a minimum of one hour in every store I went into. So so it's it's actually quite massive because there's so much to look at. Yeah. I think one of the stores, Evan, you should try to visit. And if you can get outside of Akihabara, um, because I think this chain of stores over there is going to have cheaper prices the further you get away from Tokyo mm-hmm. or maybe other prefectures, you know, further out on the outer premises. Yeah. Is, uh, I think it's a store called Hard Off. Over yeah. there. Yeah. Is- yeah. 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 Because I, I, I watched a video recently and this guy was going around and he was a big gamer Pokemon guy. And he's, you know, oh, I'm looking for a Game Boy Advance that you can find at discount prices if you keep looking. And he was finding great deals on games and stuff. And I, I'm going, you know, Evan's going to find something great if he visits that chain. I think there's one in Akihabara that I've been to. And they there had is. all the old, like, video games, like, and all the old consoles. There's a part of me that wants to buy an old PlayStation 2 there because the store was also selling the Love Hina PlayStation 2 game with, like, the limited edition keychain for 1,000 yen. Jeez. Wow. Well, the, the thing is, though, is that the Akihabara one, because it's in a popular place, I think is more expensive. If you continue to 
venture out and can get to those outer ones, I think you're going to find even a better price. Possibly. Um, I do think that that may be the case, but there may be things in the Akihabara store that are available that may not be available at the ones that are more outside of Tokyo. Uh, you'd yeah. be surprised, but then again, that was just the one instance of the video I watched where it seemed like Akihabara didn't have as much as other stores because it's such a popular area mm. and people pick it clean. Right. Did um now now we're now we're just kind of asking questions like crazy. <laughs> uh, did, uh... Oh, hmm, I lost it. I, I had it and I lost it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, oh well. Uh oh. Well, um, yeah, so that was Ask Duck Anything, ADA. And I actually have a couple questions uh, for you guys, specifically first with John. I heard you had a very interesting run-in with a specific kind of car. So I was filling up at a, um, at a, at a BJ's Gas, which is, I don't know if that's around, but it's like Costco, right? Mm-hmm. For anybody who's far away. Um, and... I, I'm filling up and I hear like muscle car, boom, you know, like how like you have that, you, you know, you just know that the spoiler on it is going to be rather large. And so I turn around and it is a um, rascal dreams of bunny girl, like decaled out uh, muscle car, like one of those ones that you see in like the YouTube videos and like the ones that you see on like you know, just social media that they put out. Some guy actually decked out his car. There's and a specific name for doing that to your car. Yeah. Like it actually has a Japanese subculture name. You got yeah. weaved. <laughs> <laughs> got weeb on my car. Um, but, but the dude who is driving it is not somebody who you would expect to, you know, be a, not even anime, but rascal dreams of bunny girl, uh, you know, uh, watcher, I suppose. But, uh, it, it was it was a very awesome kind of you know in the wild sighting sort of thing, especially because I've never even seen one of those cars at a show where it's appropriate to show those kinds of cars. Like like we've been to comic cons, like ever since we started selling Andrew's books, we've been to comic cons all over all over the place, and there's been custom cars, but there's never been anything like this, you know. And so the fact that just filling up at a gas station, some dude pulls in to fill up his anime waifu is like, <laughs> just like the goofiest place to to like see it for the first time. So did you really have to say fill up his anime waifu? I knew what I said. I knew what I said. <laughs> he said it was style. It's fine. Yeah. And Derek, you actually had a bit of a treasure discovery the other day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I- I was walking, I looked down, and I just see completely intact case of Super Mario Kart 7, which I've already had in the past. I played it, didn't really like it much. I sold my copy. I saw that, I'm like, I know what to do with this. So I went to go and sell a copy. <laughs> so I sold my random found treasure, and they were like, oh, if you have more old games, you know, bring them in, you know. We just started taking GameCube games. I'm thinking, great, my GameCube's been broken for years. I just have game that have been sitting there for like 10, 12 years. Yeah. I bring him in and the guy literally hands two of them back to me and says, you don't want to give me these. <laughs> One of them I kind of see coming was Pokemon Coliseum because anything Pokemon is always going to have resale value. But apparently I've got like one of the holy grails of the GameCube catalog. 
Oh, which, yeah. Yeah, the developers have come out and said that they're not going to remaster it for Nintendo. Oh, like, you, you kind of broke the- out there, uh, Derek. Uh, which one did you say it was? Simpsons Hit and Run. <sighs> yeah, so Ninten- they're not going to remaster it for Nintendo. So I think the only way you can access it now is through, like, downloading through, like, a PlayStation Store, possibly. But there's never going to be another physical Nintendo copy of it. So I've got a little treasure on my hands. Which is funny because I actually own Simpsons Hit and Run for PS2. And you said that that doesn't hold the same value as the way. Yeah. So, so, hey, I've got my retirement nest egg now. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, dollars right now, but who knows? Give it time. How much? How much did you say? A hundred bucks. Wow. 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 Yeah. I mean, considering it's used, but I still have like the original case and the booklet and stuff in it, too. <laughs> I think when I sold my copy before I went to Japan, because I did ha- also have Simpsons Hit and Run on GameCube, and they told me, they didn't tell me the don't sell this. They took it. Um, they actually gave me about 70 bucks for it, I believe. Out of, I oh, think it was. Cow. Yeah. I mean, it's not. Was it trade in value? I, kind of trade in value, but. So yeah. it wasn't a hundred bucks. Seventy, not but still, bad. Seventy dollars. You like, never get that a, for a game. Yeah. Yeah, that's unheard of when it comes to a trade-in. Yeah. The guy oh. working the counter literally thanked me for bringing it in. He's like, "This was a great memory. I can't believe you actually showed me this. This is awesome." <laughs> Dude, Man, I would love. Me. I would love to give you ten bucks and a crisp pie five for it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, the funny part is, is uh, this is a weird conversation to like veer off into, but uh, I wonder if it, it if it's going to depreciate in value because uh, I don't know if you know this, but and I don't know what's up with the subculture behind Hit and Run, but there's a team remaking Simpsons Hit and Run from the ground up, like with their own voice actors and their own models, and maybe not their own voice actors because they're yeah, not selling it for money, but the they're making it on the yeah, they're making it on the Unreal Engine, and 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 just remaking Hit and Run. I, for some reason, I don't get it. Like, was it really that great of a game? I don't remember it being that great of a game, but it was I good. Liked it. it wasn't I, that. Oh yeah, it's fun, but like, they, they like seamlessly put all the Simpsons jokes in there. Like, none of it seemed forced. Right. Yeah, I just didn't know it was a cultural phenomenon. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, for me growing up, it was uh, like my parents wouldn't let me have Grand Theft Auto. So it was the next best thing. Sure. It was yeah. like Team yeah. Grand Theft Auto for me. Or Lego City Underground. <laughs> yeah. I still got to get that one. I, I recommend it. Because you, you still I, can't I, get the Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> <laughs> now, talking about cultural aspects, and I think this may be a good segue to you, Andrew, because... There's there's an anime, and this is an anime that I that I personally talked about in the past, and it's an anime that I don't like, but it's an anime that you seem to really like, and okay. that oh, anime yes. okay, yeah. is the quintessential quintuplets. Yeah, now, that was a great show. So, me personally, I stopped watching it after season one because I didn't like the characters outside of Miku. Like I liked the character of Miku. Everybody else, I just thought was annoying, dull, dislikable. 
And the season ended with the really stupid thing of like, uh, all the girls touched his hand, so it could be anybody sort of a ending. And like, yeah, it was one of those things where like, at the same time, when Quintessential Quintuplets was on, We Never Learned was airing at the same time. And I felt We Never Learn was the superior one. But there's no We Never Learn stuff anywhere in Chokyo. It's all quintessential quintuplets. Everywhere I go, in Ikibukuro, Akihabara, I can't go anywhere without being bombarded with pictures, merchandise, anything related to quintessential quintuplets. So, Andrew, please tell me, what's the big deal with this show? Uh, well, for one thing, if we're comparing it to We Never Learn, uh, the author didn't didn't make a cowardly scapegoat as an ending. That's for sure. I that actually might. Dis- I, I made this. A- so I feel like. So I feel like there is a main ending to We Never Learn, and then the other chapters are like just what if scenarios, because the one that he picks first, yeah. I will count as the canon. Yeah, but it wasn't great. It was like a chapter that he rushed and and like didn't give us any kind of epilogue for it. It just wasn't it just wasn't focused where like quintessential quintuplets was like, yes, this is the ending. Deal with it. Right. And and then it like had an epilogue and it had conti- like a continuation. It had a whole like focus on the ending. So it was really nice. He could actually focus on like what this is about. Um, where, uh, but, but again, that's just, that's, that's like a, you know, a thing it's like, oh, well, you'll have to see what that's like for yourself. Cause I'm not going to tell you the ending for any of them. Okay. But, um, uh, when it comes to something like quintessential quintuplets, I did really enjoy the characters. Like I, I really liked all the characters that were involved. I really liked that there was a mystery aspect to it. And, and the fact that you legitimately didn't know which one liked him and which one of the girls he met when he was a kid, right? Because that's, that's the whole premise, is he met one of them when he was a child. And, and because they all were all identical, he does not know which one it is. So kind of um, very much like with Love Hino, where Keitaro met this girl when he was a little toddler and was always yeah. holding her close to his heart. Yeah, and uh, so so the mystery aspect of, his, of it is really nice, but then it also comes down to just because we met when we were children, that doesn't mean I like you now. So so now there's this double aspect to it of, of like, well, who was it that he met? And then will that actually make a difference in, in, in a choice when he figures out who he likes? Because he also has to win individually win the affection of every single girl, not as like a love interest, but as a, hey, I'm trying to teach you and I'm trying to help you out because I'm, I'm your tutor and you have to trust me. And like and when it, when the series first starts out, none of them trust him. Uh, and then, and then they all start to like him for their own specific reasons, not just because he's the main character, but because like he actually does things for them specifically that has to do with their character. And and yes, it, I know it is a dumb romance harm thing. So obviously, all the main characters fall in love with the main protagonist. It's dumb like that. I get it. But harm anime is my is my guilty pleasure. All right. right. So I, I enjoy. It. 
I enjoy it. And maybe you but, answered this question already, but like, how does mm-hmm. season two improve on the story, and maybe even the movie as well? Well, it's a direct continuation, which is nice. Uh, and season two, they start becoming far more overt with their feelings. Like there isn't this will they, won't they feeling about it. They blatantly tell him like, hey, I like you for this specific reason. Like, and and I want you to date me. And and then And then instead of the story being put on the girls to make a decision, and and how they about how they feel it puts a decision on the main character of i actually have to make a serious choice and think about this because i do like these girls so there's a there's a really weird romantic dynamic to it right um not to mention because of the harm aspect you as the watcher will have a girl that you specifically are more fond of than the other ones yeah uh, just by the way you gravitate towards characters in anime. But the show does a really good job at making you understand, uh, giving you reasons to like each one of them, like giving you uh, a reason like, okay, if he ends up with any of these girls, I like it because of this reason. There was one girl of the five that I was like, no way. There's no, if he ends up with that one, I'm going to be so angry. And then by the end of the show, I was just like, all right, I see what you're going for. I get it. Um, and then and then the show did end up when he made his choice. I was very OK with it. I was like, yeah, OK, that's really cool. I really I really like that. It was not the girl that I liked the most, but um, but it, it, it made sense as far as the story went. You know, instead of like, um, say, a say a show like uh, what's it? What what's the one? What's what's the one about the the three schoolgirls and the and the and the kid and and, and Toradora? Toradora. It's, it's not like Tor. It's not like Toradora where like the ending comes along. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Uh, why he likes her or or Golden Time, which is written by the same person, uh, where it's just like, wow, this story sucks and it totally doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Like none of this makes any sense. Um, you can tell that it was just like the author's fetish or something like that. Uh, <laughs> And um, instead of writing a good story, and uh, and and so this it actually makes canonical story sense as to the progression of his feelings towards these different characters. That's why I like quintessential quintuplets. Okay, so I want you to try to convince me why I should pick it up again. Uh, because it's a complete story. First and foremost, it's a complete story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I hate it when when animes end, they don't get another season, and they and they basically leave you with more questions than than answers. This one is very overt. This is what happens. The end of the story. There's no more. That's great. I love it. Two. All five characters are really endearing, and I liked learning about each of their personalities, and I loved how it convinced me why they all deserved a shot with the main character. Uh, three. I just like horror animes, and and it's a, and it's a good one. So, those those are my three reasons. Okay. I, I don't know. Uh, you should you should probably ask me questions more than uh, as to as to like what you're specifically looking for, and I can tell you yes or no about it. 
you know, because I'm in the same boat. I do love harem comedies. I love harem rom-coms and sort of stuff. Because, again, like I said, I liked We Never Learn. I loved Love Hina. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really enjoying Girlfriend, Girlfriend, which that one is from the same author as Aho Girl. So there's a lot right. more humor in that aspect. But just, like, I just couldn't really get into the character's in quintessential quintuplets as much as I did with We Never Learn. Um, mm. I am going... I will... I will give it another shot. I will try to watch maybe a couple episodes of the second season maybe see if it gels. But right now, <laughs> you telling me that you prefer it over We Never Learn is like you telling me you prefer no. my Teddy Senpai over My Senpai is Annoying. No, I don't prefer it over We Never Learn. Really? Um... I I think they're two completely different stories. They have the same premise of a tutor is trying to teach his harem and each of the girls likes him for a specific reason. It's the same premise, but it is not the same story. Not to mention that it's also, if you get these girls good grades, will help you get into your college of choice. Yeah, and... This one and quintessential quintuplets is far more dramatic. Where where we never learn is far more slapstick and and rom com. Where this one's not a rom com. This one's far more dramatic. Okay, so if I ever revisit it, maybe I'll bring it up on a future episode. Yeah, and and if you become a fan of it, then all the merchandise around Japan makes a lot more sense to you and becomes a lot more enticing. <laughs> I really don't have any room in my apartment for merchandise, man. <laughs> well, then we can talk about it, and I can tell you all the things that I like about it. Then you can buy me merchandise from Quintessential Quintuplets from Japan. Okay. <laughs> far too ex it's far too expensive to have to buy five of everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you only like one of the girls, then you only buy that one one specific merchant piece of merchandise. What kind of completionist are you? I'll go because to the Mondrake store and buy you, like, the 200 yen figurine of your favorite girl. Heck yeah. <laughs> That's how oh, I'd have it anyway. Mandaraki is awesome. Yeah, yeah, that is a good store. I actually found, like, um, so right now that one of the crane games uh, at one of the big crane game areas has uh, a figurine for Anayamada for the Daters in My Heart. And uh, Mandaraki mm, yeah. <laughs> had it there for like 1200 yen and I'm like I'll buy it here and save me probably 2000 yen of trying to play the crane game and failing every single time. Did did you not watch that uh when you uh, went over first went over to Japan I sent you that guy the uh the YouTube video called Clawmaster? Did you watch did you watch any of his videos? No, I should definitely go there. back and watch those. They're pretty incredible. Like they are actually stunning at at how he is able to break every single machine it's crazy uh, so yeah i highly recommend claw master and 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 with claw master he'll sh like he doesn't show you how to beat it the way that they're meant to be beat like a carnival game he shows you how to break them like with the with the mechanics that you are given in the claw machine it's crazy i will definitely try to give that a watch sometime nice all right so Let's talk about a couple of things that I have experienced um, in the last couple of weeks here in Japan. And the first and foremost thing I want to talk about is the high school, junior high school culture festival. 
And if you know culture festivals, it's a staple in many anime series. If you've watched like Azumanga Daio, Nan Nan Biori, and of course, the melancholy of Hari Suzumiya, which showcased uh, the segment of Hari performing the song God Knows, which is the song that really changed the anime scene or anime song scene forever. Um, I've always wanted to see this for myself, and I finally was able to at the school that I work at. How, how was that? <laughs> okay, so what was nice about it is that normally, at most schools, only high schools participate in it. Since this is both a junior and high school setup, a private junior, private high school, both schools got to participate. And each homeroom offered something very unique. Some offered food, like crepes, hot dogs. Someone made churros. Um, others offered games, like carnival-style tossing games, flip the bottle, uh, shooting gallery. Uh, but some of these kids really went on above and beyond with what they did for their class. Probably the most impressive thing I saw and I do not know how they managed to not only come up with this idea, but also execute it so well, is that they managed to take their school desks and build a Disney-styled teacup ride out of it. What? <laughs> what? Yes. Like, like, literally, it even had the wheel in the middle that lets you spin it as it goes up and down. Like... I was in awe of what this class did. Like, it was Man, amazing. I don't even know how you do that. I, mean, I, I, know, I saw it with my two I'm eyes. Picturing it in my head. <laughs> I saw it with my two eyes, and I'm like, I still can't believe I just saw that. Jeez. And on top of all of that, there were also people who were doing performances. Um,. One of the ones that I got to see was a juggling show. So a lot of kids doing sorts of various forms of juggling, whether it's with balls or bottles or what are those things with like the sticks? Like it's like the juggling with the sure, yeah, the, those the, the juggle sticks, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, like and, batons. Or... Yeah, 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 something like that. Um, which is pretty good. So this school, I I don't want to give the name of it, but. Th- they are known for their Water Boys Synchronized Swimming Show. And it's it's an all-boys synchronized swimming team. And I tried to get in, but I couldn't. Every time they put on a show, the line to watch their performance was literally out, uh, out the door, even past the school gates. Everybody what? wanted to go see the Water Boys performance. Jeez, I would love to see synchronized swimming uh, rendition of Adam Sandler's The Water Boy. <laughs> <laughs> but but oh, oh my boy, you made it! Oh no, wait, that's that's show dirt. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very good. Uh, um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch it. <laughs> I didn't realize until after the performance that. The teacher's lounge looks down on where the pool is, so I could have watched it from there. Oh, no. What? And I didn't realize it until, like, the next day. Rough. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. What's what's that window over there? Yeah. What what is that? What is that body of water? Uh, but one of the things that I did love watching is, was the rock fest. So we had both students and teachers performing in their own bands. Some of them hey. doing covers, some of them doing originals, and all the bands were very impressive. And what I loved too was just the audience reaction. Like these kids were just going wild and crazy. They were doing things that you don't even see people at Japanese concerts doing. Like they were just having the time of their lives. They were acting more like American punk show audiences than Japanese rock show audiences. <laughs> Like they, they were, were jumping fires. around, bouncing around. <laughs> they're they're kicking each other in the face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Almost. There were some Lost kids that were it. trying to the crowd surf. Actually. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I do actually have to talk about one of the bands because um, the teacher that I sit next to in the teachers lounge, um, I'll refer to him as Hiroto. Uh, he is, he and I are very much both into music. He plays guitar. And he he's very good. He's an excellent guitarist. So when I came to when I came to the school, you're supposed to like kind of give like a souvenir, the omiyage, as like a thank you hmm. gift or a welcome gift. And one of the things I did was I made a mix CD of Boston-based bands. Hey, cool! That's and, a good gift. And I gave Hirato. Even though he's not part of the English department, I gave him this, the CD, and he's looking at the list, and he goes, "Oh, Dinosaur Junior! I love Dinosaur Junior." <laughs> so, through that, I introduced him to the band Fucked Up, and the reason why I did that is because in the song "Came Down Wrong" on the album Doser Dreams. The front man for Dinosaur Jr., Jay Maskus, does the vocals on it. Huh. And then he also told me he was into Foo Fighters. And then Uh-oh. I introduced him I- into... <laughs> but I introduced him to a better band, Queens of the Stone Age, which Dave Grohl okay. was a drummer for. And he liked them as well. I knew that one. So we wound up <laughs> bonding over these bands and vice versa. That's awesome. That's yeah. that. It's it's so great when you can go anywhere and just find somebody that has something in common like that. That honestly is the coolest thing I've ever heard. That that you've made that you made friends with this guy over music. Yeah. But uh, going back to the culture fest, all the students and the teachers they did such a phenomenal job putting this together. It and you know on top of it just being a fun event, it really teaches students various things. It teaches them how to work together to make a project happen. It teaches them how to run a successful business. It teaches them how to make money. And it teaches them how to set up impressive presentations. And even afterwards, how to take everything apart and put things back the way they were. Yeah. And, you know, it just makes you wish that I got to experience something like this when I was in high school or even junior high because I feel like so many American kids can learn so much from putting on a culture festival mm-hmm. because you you may know this firsthand, John Starr, since you yourself are a teacher. Like, 
they do put like sports on the forefront and slice extracurricular activities whenever they get the chance. And mm-hmm. there really isn't much of an opportunity for students to really express themselves. And culture fests do that in such a way that kids express themselves, but they learn things. Learn things that actually prepare them for adult life. Yeah, I will say that um, art, the arts have come more to the forefront um, over the past couple of years, but Good. there is nothing, there is nothing like a culture festival. That is that is for certain. You should bring it up to your school, man. You should totally like try to suggest this idea. Yeah. So yeah. that was my first culture festival event. Should we talk about professional wrestling? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Why not? <laughs> so I went to my first Japanese pro wrestling event, uh, DDT Wrestling, at the Korakuen Hall, um, which is a very famous pro wrestling hall. And the venue was very much like a high school gymnasium. Like, the way it was set up, it had the thing, it had the seats that pull out. Yeah. <laughs> You know like a high school about? gymnasium. Yeah, like a high school <laughs> gymnasium, rather than yeah. actually set oh, seats. Oh, the bleachers that you do drugs underneath. Right, exactly. <laughs> and one of the things that was really interesting, too, about this event was there was an area exclusively for women to sit in. For doing drugs underneath. <laughs> for doing drugs <laughs> Because some of the things that, one of the things that's interesting is that more women in Japan love wrestling than uh, women in the United States, which is funny. Yeah, do you funny. know why? <laughs> which is I, funny know the, I know the reason why. <laughs> yeah. show to walk. It's because Japanese men are low, are low testosterone and they're not attracted to Japanese men, so they get to go to wrestling shows and actually see, like, high testosterone men fighting. And that and that turns them on, <laughs> which is which I was actually going to get to that because up until the 1970s, uh, women were the predominant audiences in pro wrestling in America because of that. Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought that that women actually like men with high testosterone? Wow, cr- crazy. <laughs> I know. And now it's kind of vice versa. Now it's the men who like the men with the high testosterone. <laughs> Now, at this show, there were eight matches, and two of them were title championships. And one of the main reasons I went was for the Universal Championship, which had the champion uh, American, Matt Cardona, going up against female pro wrestler Maki Ito. And I don't know if you know the story of Maki Ito, but basically, um, Andrew and John... You remember reviewing an anime called Wanna Be the Strongest in the World, correct? You bet. <laughs> you bet I do. Her story is literally that. She was a pop idol who turned into a professional wrestler. Wow. And she's really Man. good. I, I watched the first episode of I Wanna Be the Strongest in the World, <laughs> and I was just like, this is awful. Good God. No, maybe I watched the first three because I made a Wicked Anime review of it, right? Yeah, yeah, you watched yeah. the first three. Okay. Remember you had, what was it, the butt shot count? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Classics. Classic. So the match was really good. And one of the things that was really unique is that, like, of course, 
we have this mentality where men's wrestlers are stronger than women's wrestlers, but they really sold the fact that Maki Ito was kicking Mark Cardona's ass very well. Like, she was delivering some really strong DDTs. She did a turnbuckle powerbomb off of him. Uh, he actually, She actually um, uh, busted him open. So one of the things that is her trademark is she has a pizza cutter, and she loves to rub it over the foreheads of people and just <laughs> bust them open very nicely. Jeez. Probably one of the Dude, not even mankind would do that back in the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of the highlights of the show. So of course Matt Cardona, he's the heel, and he tried to like cheat. And the way he tried to cheat was trying to give Maki Ito a low blow. But there's a problem <laughs> with that. What do you, you think the problem with that? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I've got a second problem with that. How is that cheating and a pizza cutter to the face is a-okay? Well, because the um, the referee was knocked out, so anything goes during that time. Oh, oh right. I forgot that rule. Yeah. So, like, Matt Cardona just starts kicking Maki Ito right between the legs. And it's like, she's, like, going, the fuck are you doing? It's like, do, do, do you know who I am? And then she, like, literally lifts her skirt and just goes, like, just slaps herself down there. I'm like, no balls. But, oh, my gosh. Oh, that's, that's my favorite Dragon Ball quote. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny and it was entertaining. But, of course, because the referee was knocked out, what happened was, so, Macadona has his wife, Steph the Lander, by ringside. And, of course, she has to interfere and she power bombs Maki Ito, and she drags the unconscious Macardona over her, and of course that's how he wins. And him being a heel is like, I beat her all by myself, and everyone's just like going, boo, boo. <laughs> and <laughs> he goes, I'm the man, and I literally shout, No, you're not, and Steph finds me the audience and just screams, yes, he is. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so good time. Good time. Um, but yeah, the other match, the other championship match was also a battle of the sexes sort of a match. A guy versus a girl. And apparently I did a lot of research about this and apparently intergender wrestling is a lot more common in Japan than it is in the United States. And more often than not, women's wrestlers in Japan often prove that they can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with their male counterparts. Yes, it's scripted. Yes, it's fake. But most of the time, like it, it, in like Western wrestling, it's, oh, yeah, of course a male pro wrestler will overpower a female pro wrestler. But in Japan, they treat them as equals. Mm. So I find it so interesting that the West doesn't just give this a go. Because think about it. It has been well over 21 years since, like, a female pro wrestler has held a men's title. Um, and that was China back in 1999 when she held the Intercontinental title in the WWE. 
personally, I actually think the angle of the reason why they don't do that now is more so that culturally we still hold on to you don't hit a woman. Right. Well, and people would would look upon that like saying like, oh, you just don't do that. Well, well there's, Japan, well, there's also, too. But Japan, too. We also that. have a I mean, we also have a very specific subculture here in America that would be like, you're beating a woman like, ah, you know, like you yeah. can't you can't beat women. Yeah, you know, I don't think I don't sexism. think. Yeah, I don't think that it's anti woman to not have women fight with men. I think that it's anti male. To be honest. Hmm. I may have to disagree with you on that because I, remember, this is it's not like this is a UFC match where it's a guy sure. against a girl. This is right, no, exactly. This it's, is oh, no, all yeah. fake. This is all already predetermined. This is all well, it's already the, it's choreographed. In the, it's in the same vein that the la- that there's that viral clip of the of the like the nine Japanese nine year olds getting beat up by the pro wrestler. Right, uh, that's Kenny Omega. So like, yeah, if you know the story behind that, it's amazing because that girl was a student at the school that Kenny Omega sometimes teaches, and her final came up, and her partner never showed up. So mm-hmm. Kenny Omega came in and said, "I will be the one to wrestle you." And, like, hey. when you watch the match, like, she sells the bumps that he gives oh, to her. Oh, she's a pro. Yeah. yeah. And vice versa. Kenny Omega sells the bumps as well. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's yeah. If, I mean, that's just it, right? It's a show. So, like, if you want to script that kind of stuff, it'd be great. Yeah. Right? And yeah, I feel I, like that, I feel like that would be something really, I'd like to see more of that in the United States, in the Western pro wrestling scene. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I don't have a problem with it. I would totally I would totally go for that. Um, I just think that people looking from it, uh, looking at it from the outside is the people that you would be worried about for that sort of thing. Correct. Yeah, there'll be be cultural pushback for sure. Yeah. I feel like the only time you see it around here these days, though, is when you look at like fighting video games, like when you can have Chun-Li go up against Guile. Yeah. (laughs) And that's Japanese. (laughs) Either could win. (laughs) Very true. Again, oh, any fighting game, um, not just Street Fighter, Mor- Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, that one's probably the most like pro equality you ever get. <laughs> Doesn't matter whose spine it is; it's going to be ripped out of their back. Exactly. <laughs> um, one final thing I want to say about this uh, was a big highlight, big big surprise. So there was a fight between pro wrestler Konosuke Takeshita, and he was going up against another pro wrestler, a friend of his, Mao. And Konosuke Takeshka wins the match. And after the match, the lights go out. And on the screen, Chris Jericho appears. <laughs> and right now, Chris Jericho is having this huge feud with Takeshka and a couple other pro wrestlers that are part of what is known as the Don Callis family. Don Callis being the manager. And Chris Jericho challenges Konosuke Takeshita to a match in Tokyo on November 12th as part of the DDT Ultimate Party 2023 event. And I may have to check that fight out because I have never had the opportunity to see Jericho live in a match. Every time I've went to a WWE or AEW event in Boston, Jericho never wrestled. Isn't it like Jericho, isn't he like old school wrestling though? Like he's been in J. Yeah. He was, yeah, he's been in the business for 30 years, and he's still really good. That's what I thought. He started 
He yeah. started in WCW and he moved over to when it was still the WWF. He moved over with um, Eddie Guerrero and um, Chris Benoit. Hmm. Well, they were separate. So the 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 radicals that you're talking about, they came over a few months after Jericho, but Jericho came oh, in. Part. Yeah, still though, it's just that like the fact that he's still in the game. It's like it's almost like saying that the Undertaker would have come up on the screen. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like, d- dude, Sting is still wrestling. That he's yeah, in his sixties. Yeah. Uh, well, didn't he come back to wrestling? Yeah, because. Um, one of the pro wrestlers, I think it was Seth Rollins, like injured his neck to the point where he couldn't wrestle anymore. And it took him almost a decade for him to recover from it. Wow. And like, he's like doing like off the turnbuckle dives and all that stuff. And it's like, this is something a 60 year old should not be doing. And he's selling <laughs> it like crazy. Yeah. So yeah, first pro wrestling event in Japan. Lots of fun. I will definitely be checking out more of them while I'm Yeah, here. I bet it was. It sounds like a blast. Yeah. So let's go back to some culture. Because right. I went to the Mori Art Museum in Roppongi, and there were two events that were going on, two exhibits that were happening that were of great interest. One of which it was the 50th anniversary of the iconic... Blackjack from Osamu Tezuka and the other I think is up more of our alley the 40th anniversary of the manliest manga ever created Fist of the North Star Fist of the North Star so like both exhibits had hundreds of original manga panels the things that the, the actual drawings before they send them off to be put into the books yeah, for like us the to betas. see. Yeah, the betas. Dang. I'm going to rob that museum. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, you can notice parts of it that were whited out due to a drawing error. And, like, word bubble dialogue pasted or taped onto the drawings. That's what. That's one of the things that I saw when you sent the pictures was was that the text was, like, printed out on paper and, and like, pasted it onto the sheet. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Like it's not dr- it's not written on like, you know, the handwriting and whatever. Like it, but it's it's like taped in, which is just crazy to look at. And think about it, this was in the in the 80s before there were personal computers. So this this person probably had to use a typewriter. Yeah. To oh, well. use to do the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so cool. I was so, so jealous. I, or, yeah. I wasn't jealous. I I wasn't. No, I was not jealous. But when I, I when I saw those pictures, I was so happy for you because like it looked so cool. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um. So like there were golden statues of the characters. They actually had a couple of the anime scripts on display that mm. you could actually see. And as you saw in my pictures, there were interactive photo ops, which I took every photo op of there. And yeah, the I was like, one was amazing. Yeah. One of the cool things, so, and I sent you a picture of this, of course. I was waiting in line to get my ticket for Fist of the North Star for this exhibit, and I noticed at the corner of my eye there was somebody in line with a beast in black <laughs> tote bag. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> was, uh, I don't even know how you approached him. Like, how, like I approached got her that by like going, "Oh my, <gasps> Beast in Black Godaisuki," and she's like, <laughs> "What to this guy?" 
the work desk that he used to draw everything on, and it had his trademark beret, his glasses, and the pen he used to draw everything from... And his book, his book of for- furry porn. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be too surprised if that desk was where that those hidden drawings were. <laughs> Yeah. Remember, <laughs> they're, like still, they're still in there somewhere and they don't know <laughs> well no they know but they just they just found one of them who knows there could be some more in there that they don't know about <laughs> but it was really cool but I will say this I like the fifth of the North Star exhibit better because it was a lot more organized and it was a lot less crowded because with blackjack it was filled with so many people that i actually felt like i had to rush through it in order to breathe i felt like there should have been like a limit onto how many people could go in each half hour there, there was no limit it was just like the just keeping shoving people in one after another and right it made things a little bit claustrophobic for me well, yeah. it, it, it that also sounds kind of nice in the way that Fist of the North Star is still kind of a niche thing for us as an audience. Like, it's still kind of a little bit of ours because there's more people who would rather go see the Tezuka stuff than the Fist of the North Star stuff. Right. You know? Which I found interesting because the Fist of the North Star exhibit just opened. Mm. And there were more people at the Blackjack exhibit, which, to be fair, also just opened the day before the Fist of the North Star stuff. So, like, they practically opened at the same time. But I think more people have the appreciation for Tezuka because he is considered, you know, the god of comics, the god of manga. He's the one who really kickstarted this whole manga culture and anime culture in the first place. Yeah, grandfather so, of anime. Yeah, ba- yeah, grandfather, godfather, whatever you want to call him. So, of course, more people will probably go into that than Fist of the North Star. Which, to be fair, Fist of the North Star did kind of start the whole manly manga, manly anime trend itself. Yeah. Um. One thing I do want to oh, point for out. for sure. Yeah. yeah. One thing I do want to point out, too, is so seeing the Fist of the North Star's original manga panels up close had me leaning more into a theory about a currently run manga that's happening right now that that's still going on. And it's a manga series that I have reviewed on the site. And that is rooster fighter. Do you know what rooster fighter? So it's already been stated that the author of rooster fighter, uh, Shu Sakuratani is a pseudonym. It's not his real name. And that he has been in the manga industry for decades, but started using the Sakuratani name just seven years ago. Sorry to interrupt real quick, but um, my battery's at 1%, so I might have to be... Oh, and I think uh, my phone's shutting down right now. Uh, uh, bye, Derek. Guys. Bye, Derek. Bye. Bye. Later, Derek. Bye. Bye. Okay, so my theory is that Su, Su Sakuratani, after seeing the Fist of the North Star art so close, I think Shu Sakuratani is Tatsuhara, the artist who draws Fist the, who draws Rooster Fighter. But isn't Wouldn't he that... dead? No, they're both still alive. Really? Yeah, sure? Tetsuha. Yeah, Tetsuhara is still alive. Let me check. 
You're making... Okay, Tetsuo Hara... Yeah, he's 62 years old. He's still alive. Huh. I could have so, sworn that somebody involved with Fist of North Star passed away. No, he, he, the artist, is still alive. Bronson, the writer, is still alive. And huh. looking at the Fist of North Star stuff up close, and as someone who reads Rooster Fighter, the fact that both of them have the exact same art style to them <laughs> makes me think that Tetsuo Hara and maybe even Bronson, because Hara has stated that he's not the best writer, that maybe Tetsuo Hara and Bronson are actually Shu Sakuratani. Yeah. Wouldn't um, that be so wild? N- yeah, like I love I love this because it's almost like we have to put on our tinfoil hats to think about this, but I love thinking about it and like what that what that could mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> because when you read Brewster Fighter, it's almost like um Fist of the North Star, but with a chicken. Yeah. So imagine like the creators of Fist of the North Star making their own parody of Fist of the North Star with a rooster. And I know right. that there are there are parodies of Fist of the North Star. DD Fist of the North Star. There, there's already parodies of it. But them doing their own send-up of the Fist of the North Star story, but with a chicken. I just find that that idea and concept both hilarious and genius. Yeah, absolutely. Man. <sighs> So how cool. Yeah. How, <laughs> how cool will it be if that were the case? Let's talk about Fully Cooly Shoegaze because we talked what? about Fully Cooly Grunge last time. And I do want to actually talk about the last episode of Fully Cooly Grunge quickly because where was the quality of the writing for the first two episodes that the last episode had? You know, it's kind of funny because the way that you felt about that, I, I actually didn't. I thought that it was fine, but uh, I mean, the way that it ended was good. I actually thought that that grunge had a pretty decent ending. Yes, with the amount with the amount of time that they had with the season, the fact that it was only a three episode season, it actually was a pretty well written short story. I see, like even though I still dislike the first episodes, I like the third episode better. And I will say that it did have an ending that I felt good about, even though I didn't feel good about most things. The ending is, it's kind of like how we felt about when Marnie was there, where we hated that movie, except the last few minutes of it. Right. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't remember the last few minutes of it. I've, I, I just remember going to see it and not enjoying it. And then th- there was an ocean and a ghost girl. And I don't remember the ending. <laughs> Time locked away in the past. Yeah, like I, it's just like I remember experiencing it. I just don't remember anything about it. <laughs> um, but I think the way that this ended was is kind of funny because the closer we get to the end of the new season of Fully which we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, I think my theory is is getting closer to correct. My, like I think that when I'm thinking about Haruko and the characters and everything, I think I'm like pretty close. And remind our listeners, what is your theory? Right. So I think that Adamisk and um, and Haruko are interdimensional jumpers, 
where they are traveling to different timelines and Haruko is chasing the, the same Haruko is chasing the same Atomisk through different timelines of the same place. And, um, and that's why every season is different because the place is the same, but all the people are different. But Haruko knows the scenario every time she goes in because she's been there a bunch of times. You say that, but the thing about Shoegaze is it actually takes place in the world of Fully Cooly Alternative. That is true, but Haruko's not there. Which I find interesting. Like, so, like, these first two episodes, the only thing you see of Haruko's is her base, and that's only, like, in the first minute of Fully Cooly Shoegaze. And it's not even the right base, too. It's a red one. So, uh, and it's not the flying V from the first season either. Then is it, so it, it is it Nauta's? Remember, there's like the the base. Yeah, that was guitar. the flying V. The the one that Nauta had was the flying V. I thought the flying V was the one that Haruko like like surfed on in the Punny Girl outfit. Um, maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah, because Nauta had a red. I thought Nauta had a red guitar. I could have sworn. Yeah, I thought the flying V was red. And then, I, and then I thought the black one at the end was, or the, uh, the one that he had at the end was black. No, because um, Nauta was all fully red when he was fighting Haruko. So, of course, right. the guitar was red, too. I guess I'll have to rewatch it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, man. Yeah. Uh, so, one thing that I, I discovered about, um, about this one, too, is that I actually stuck, stuck it out to watch the credits on uh, on max to see who was doing what part because the the person playing the crazy girl i don't even remember her name mm-hmm. um in in uh, this season um does a really really good kari walgren impression right um because i thought that was like oh well is it haruko and then but then i'm like no it can't be haruko because they didn't get kari walker to do it but then that's not beyond anybody to right. replace her or anything like that well her but, name is harumi yeah 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 um but there was also in the english credits a spoiler that i had to actually go back to watch the japanese credits to make sure that it actually was a spoiler and it actually did in fact turn out to be a spoiler and I don't know if I want to say it here, but the entire series is going to be over by the time this this episode comes out. So should I just say it? Yeah, go ahead. OK, so they have Atomisk listed in the cast of characters at the end of the English credits. Yeah. Um, which made me realize at the very beginning that the main character, the giant red bird that he sees on top of the tower is Atomisk. Right. And 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 the reason why I think my theory is correct is because in Atomisk's feathers you see season one of Fooly Cooly like like flashing through his feathers. Yeah, you see all the seasons actually. So he's like a time lord, you know, and he holds all of the dimensions within his feathers. So like I really think that that's how like he's actually traveling to different timelines. That's a good theory. Well, I I reckon that you are going to be correct about that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm uh, a Fooly Cooly master. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you talk about Fooly Cooly like I talk about Thundercats. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like it's 
but I only have six episodes. You have like four DVD cases to go through. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You're right. We have the six episodes. As soon as we're Multiple finished decade. watching Multiple this, <laughs> as soon as we're finished watching Shoegaze, it's just going to disappear from our memory and we're just going to remember the first season from 2003. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, and so I'll just come out and say it. I, I do not like this season. Like, I, I don't like Shoegaze at all. Um, I, I kind of have, I, a, I, I kind of feel the same way. Like, I don't hate it, but I don't like it. It's boring. It, I'm bored. Like, it, I, I, I don't like the characters. I don't know where it's going. Maybe episode three will be great. I don't know. I'm, I am looking forward to watching episode three because maybe it will end with like a big reveal of some kind. Maybe Harumi is Haruko. I don't know. But um, but, it, you know, honestly, it gave me the same feelings that I had while I was watching Fully Coolie Alternative, which is just like, all right, you know, like this. It It's not the worst, but it's not great. You know, it's not mind bending the way that I wanted it to be. Um, so I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's just fine, and I, I don't want it to just be fine. You know, I want to have a good time. Exactly. So, I, and I think that's all I'm getting from this one. <laughs> I find it interesting because it's called Fully Coolie Shoegaze, and if you know the shoegaze genre, yeah. um, and I do listen to a lot of shoegaze. There are some good shoegaze bands, but there are so many shoegaze bands where the song is just this long droning, just this. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, like, stare, they stare at their shoes. Yeah, and it's like they're not really playing notes. It's just like one note that goes like for like three minutes long, and uh, then and it's like goes on and on. And like if you're not into shoegaze, it could be very dull and very boring. And like I feel like that's how you're feeling with watching Fully Cooley. And it's the same way of like how some people will listen to shoegaze. Some people will listen actually, to shoegaze. Well, yeah, that's actually really funny. <laughs> But then yeah. with shoegaze music, sometimes it like picks up right at the end. Like then suddenly it turns into this chaotic kind of sound. So maybe you might be right where the final episode, all the cool shit's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that would be great. It would be great if I was surprised. You know, I'm looking forward to the with with hope in the last episode. Is is this definitely the last season or at least until like for now? So, like, from what I understand, Adult Swim is no longer going to be making any new series of Fully Cooley. They're no longer mm-hmm. going to be collaborating with Production IG. So, right now, the ball is in the court of Production IG over whether or not they want to continue it or not. Got it. Okay. Um, that makes sense. I wonder how much uh, pull Adult Swim actually had then for for new episodes of Fully Cooley. Was it production IG's idea or was it uh, Adult Swim's idea for progressive and alternative? It was production IG because they had bought the rights from Gynex because they had originally worked together and Gynex held the rights for so long. And then when Gynex just shit the bed like they did, um, the production IG rebought the rights so they could continue to make new episodes and such. So it's production IG, and then Adult Swim latched on because they remember how much the original Fooly Cooley was just big money for them back in the day. Yeah, it was basically Tome. Yeah, I mean, that's where I learned about Fooly Cooley was on Adult Swim. And like, I remember it it just like, it changed my life when I saw it. 
<laughs> Dude, like I said, if it wasn't for Fully Cooley, I wouldn't be living in Japan right now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I, uh, if it doesn't continue, then at least we have an amazing first season. And, yeah, for the rest. I can finally stop cussing. <laughs> <laughs> if it does continue, maybe they'll find, like, an actual animation studio that knows how to handle a story like Philly Cooley. Like, yep. can you imagine if they actually, like, brought in Trigger to do it? I uh, would, well, yeah, I, I think that would be kind of cool. I mean, like, um, uh, what's it? Hiroyuki Imashi was the, uh, the choreographer, like, the, uh, and I think it was the animation director or the fight choreographer. For the original Fooly Cooly, he had yes. a, he had an animation role. Not he wasn't like the creator or director of it, but he had an animation role in it. I remember right. That. He he was brought in because they were so impressed by the work he did in Dead Leaves that they wanted yeah. him to be part of it. Yeah, and you know it's not so far out of the realm of possibility. I mean, Trigger is bringing back Panty and Stocky with Garter Belt, which I just think is super exciting. So I feel like that's almost a troll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's fake. Well, if, when we finally see season two, episode one, we'll know it's real. Yeah, Everybody that's, that's literally that, that is literally what it's going to have to take is is for me to actually see like when it when it actually launches, then I know they're not yanking my chain. Everybody thought that the return of Frasier was fake, but here we are. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't watched that yet. I've heard good things. It's actually pretty good. Like I gotta like Christine and I were watching it the other day and we were like not sure at the beginning, but then like at the end of the first episode we were like, you know, it's not too I, bad. I hear that Kelsey Grammer jumps from different universes and uh, and basically is looking for Roz and his radio station and <laughs> Well, one thing that I'll say is that he uh, the, the plot is that he moves back to Boston, so it's a Boston-based show, which is nice. Oh, interesting. Nice. Is uh, Roz is Roz still involved? Or? Nobody. Frazier is the only returning character. Yeah, Frazier. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, Frazier is the only returning character. Kelsey Grammer is the only origi- one from the original cast. Right. Yeah. Because John Mahoney passed away, and everybody else kind yeah. of like they passed on it for now. I I have a feeling that if this winds up becoming a hit, which from what I understand it could be. I wouldn't be too surprised if you start seeing the other people start showing up. This kind of jogs my thought of on on it being multiverse because then is is Cheers the same Frasier is or is Cheers a different multiverse of Frasier and <laughs> and attempt time jumping from different yeah. universes? No, it's we already know that unfortunately it's canonical that Cheers is the same Cheers in Frasier. Yeah. yeah, he talks about it all the time. Yeah, in the new Frasier. No, well, he he mentions it in the new Frasier. He actually does mention it once, but um, but in the in the original series of Frasier, he talks about Cheers all the time. Oh, okay. And uh, there are characters that do show up from Cheers on Frasier. Oh, okay. And there's actually it was the last well, no longer the last season, but like the last season of the original Frasier had Frasier going back to Cheers. I just want to. I just want to point out that this is how good Fully Cooly Shoegaze is. is that <laughs> what <happened? laughs> We're talking about Deep Lore Frasier. We're talking about Deep Lore Frasier. Arguably the best spinoff ever made. Arguably the best spinoff ever made was was Frasier. People forget that because you know 
You could have said The Simpsons because that was a spinoff of the Tracy Allman show had The Simpsons ended after season nine. But now it really isn't the best spinoff. Frasier will always be the best spinoff. That's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's probably wrap this up. But um, before we before we end, we're going to do. Unfortunately, Derek's not here. He came up with this idea too. A little bit of a quiz. And we're going to call this the quack quiz. And I'm going to ask five questions. Each of you get a guess. And you can. (laughs) What was that? Oh, I don't know. Does it sound like a duck? (laughs) (laughs) It's free with the with the uh, discord soundboard. Oh, can you do it again? Yeah. (laughs) The quack quiz. Five questions. Each of you have a guess. And it's all related to what we talked about on this episode of Dakamaki Japan. Oh my gosh, it's actually a quiz. Now I'm nervous. (laughs) All right. It's not exactly what we talked about, literally, but it's related to it. So we talked about the culture festival. And one of the famous episodes of anime of a culture festival is the melancholy of Harui Suzumiya. Now, Harui sang two songs, and I mentioned one of them, God Knows. What was the other song she sang? Oh, come on, man. (laughs) You know Jonathan and I haven't watched Haruhi Suzumiya. Really? Yeah. All right. Though though I will say, and this this is a loophole, she sang the Hara Hara Yukai. (laughs) Because she sang it in every episode. (laughs) Security guy, Greg, do you want to give it a try? Uh, I am not well versed in this at all, so I'm going to respectfully bow out. <laughs> I, I just know that they all wore bunny girl outfits, and that changed the course of anime history forever. <laughs> well, she did. She was the only bunny yeah. girl. Um, I thought that. I thought that. What's her name? The the. I thought Mikuru, that the other one. Yeah, she Mikuru wore the wore red. A, in that episode, she only wore a normal maid outfit. Uh huh. Okay. But in the Adventurers of Mikura Asahina, she did wear a bunny girl outfit. Got it. But the answer was Lost My Music. That was the other song she sang. That was my first guess. I never, never would have gotten that. (laughs) All right. So we talked about pro wrestling and we talked about Chris Jericho. And Chris Jericho made his WWF debut on August 9th, 1999. What were the first five words he uttered in his debut? Oh my gosh, this is a really hard quiz. What is wrong with you? Sorry, my, my five words or six words is, I'm so sorry, but like Derek, I also need to go. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I don't All mean right. to uh, bow out. Sorry. Guys. All right. Bye, Greg. Goodbye, Greg. Goodbye. Bye, Greg. All right. My, my five word guess is, hi, my name is Jericho. <laughs> you got the last two right. <laughs> huh. That's how close you were. Is well, Jericho? Uh-huh. Huh. <gasps> no. I don't know. I I don't know wrestling. All right. <laughs> Where's Jericho when we need him? <laughs> the answer is welcome to Raw is Jericho. Uh 
Because it was Rise okay. War. That was the show back then. <laughs> got it. Got it. <laughs> um, wasn't Chris Jericho's uh, uh, special move one of the answers in one of our Wicked Anime episodes? Yeah, the Walls what of Jericho. I don't know. Okay, I don't know if we did the Walls of Jericho. Remember? Okay, so I don't know if you remember that episode, Evan, but it's not on YouTube anymore. But we did a quiz, which was um, 19... Uh, 1980s wrestler or um, or anime special move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 but Jericho's more of a 90s wrestler, so I don't think he was on it. I think we only did 80s wrestlers. Okay. All right. Maybe. You might, okay. Maybe you might know the 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 answer to this one. Question three. The live action version of Fist of the North Star used a strange object to help create the seven scars on Kenshiro's chest. What was the object? It's been like ten years since I've seen that movie. I know we watched it in we so we Jonathan and I watched it in college with all of our college buddies. Oh, uh, is it a is it a fire poker? No. Uh, uh so so this is um this is a makeup so question. Is, like this is what they use to actually create the scars. Like what? Oh. Was, yeah, what was the material? What was the makeup that they used? Oh, I thought you meant like what did they use in the movie? What did they use in the film? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a really in-depth question. Oh, that's that's a that's, good that's question. Like, yeah, that's it, like real trivia. That it bothers I, me that I don't know. <laughs> you ready for the answer? Yes. Condoms. No, <laughs> I yes. did not know that. Condoms. They used condoms to make the scars on Kenshiro's oh, chest. That's incredible. I mean, they are raised perfect circles, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. I get. All right. Question four. So we talked about Osamu Tezuka, and as we know, Osamu Tezuka's Astro Boy is credited as like the show that really started the anime culture. And it was the first anime to air in America in 1963. What network did it air on in America? You have like three choices, by the way, because there were only three channels back then. (laughs) Uh, NBC. That's correct. Oh, yeah, I got one. I got one. (laughs) I'm actually legitimately so excited. <laughs> we should probably keep. We, let's use that soundboard for future episodes, okay? Someone has to be in charge of that. We should, uh, we should like make our own custom sounds and insert it. Yeah. Okay. The final question. Since the first series, the pillows have been the soundtrack to Fully Cooley. How many other anime have featured the pillows in their soundtrack? Oh. Dang. Um, Closest, not going over or under three. Let's see who can get the closest number to it. Get the closest within three? Jeez. I'm, I'm just going to okay. I'm going to say this is a trick question. I'm going to say one because it was just Fooly Cooly. <laughs> I'll, I'll go I'll go high and I'll, I'll say that I'll make it an even 20. <laughs> nope. So besides Fooly Cooly, there have been six other anime to feature the pillows in their soundtracks. There's yeah. Moonlight Mile, which is a, a space astronaut anime. Sket Dance, which is kind of a... I think that's a dancing anime, if you can't tell. Um, the basketball anime Akira no Sora. 
Beck Mongolian Chop Squad, which also had a cameo from Sawao Yamanaka in the finale. Lucifer in the Biscuit Hammer, which Biscuit Hammer comes from a, a pillow's song title. And the final one, Stitch the anime, as in Lilo and Stitch. Man, oh man. Why'd you make this quiz so hard? I thought it was <laughs> kind of making... I. I had much harder questions than this, I thought. Hey, Originally. Listen, hey, regardless of whether or not it was hard, it was very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh so, absolutely. But but I feel I feel shamed. <laughs> One out of five. Yeah, you should feel shamed. Is there a booing sound effect you can use? Uh <laughs> that's perfect. Okay. All right, so that about wraps up this episode of Duck Amuck in Japan. So please be sure to visit B3Crew.com for all reviews and podcast episodes. And follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Twitch at KingBabyDuckESH. I have decided that I will be starting to use Twitch more. I may do a playthrough of the entire Yakuza series in chronological order, and may also do some Shantae playing, Galgun, maybe even Fall Guys too. I'll even take some suggestions from you guys as games that I should do some live streaming of. Hmm. Sounds good. Andrew, where can people find your stuff at? Yeah, okay, so if you guys want to check out what I'm doing and my continued body of work, you can go to solariansun.com where you can read my webcomic for free. As of this recording, you can read up to page 270 for free. Uh, and that's about to finish chapter nine going into chapter 10. However, if you go to patreon.com slash AFLM, you can subscribe and become a Solarian Sun member for as little as $5 a month. And as of this recording, you will be able to read up to page 632. That's just one one uh, hot chocolate pachinko. Yep, uh, or, yes. or, or one or one uh, chocolate whip mousse from Starbucks. That's right. Month. Yeah. Or, so, or, or pumpkin jelly jam. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Per per month, not even per week. This is we're talking five dollars per month. So it's a steal. To, to get to get over 600 pages of content that that I continue to pump out every single week. Now, uh, also coming up in January, I have the f- uh, the third book of Solarian Sun uh, coming out in print. We're going to be running a Kickstarter campaign uh, to get uh, the print right uh, to get the printing out of that. We're going to publish it, and it's going to be on my next convention tour uh, before the online store probably opens up and I can start taking shipments again for physical copies of Solarian Sun, but we have volumes one, two, and three. So be sure to come by and support the Kickstarter campaign and get your book to complete your collection. Hey, I thought you have a convention coming up too, right? No, no, no more conventions for the rest of the year. The next, I'm, I'm currently in Kickstarter season, in Kickstarter mode, so I'm editing the book. Uh, book editing is almost done, but not as done as I want it to be because I have to have it finished by next weekend to send it out for test prints. Yeah. But no, no, no more conventions for the rest of this year. Mm. Thank goodness. Okay. As much as I love doing conventions, it would it'd be too much for Kickstarter season. True. And how about you, John Star? Well, you can find me at at the line block on Instagram, and I do just want to say, or if I could pitch this to you, yes. I think I came up with a unique 
a closing line for this podcast if we could we could run it th- yeah. for this episode. Let's yeah, absolutely. I will. I think that we could absolutely do that because we are about to get to the closing line. So until next time, this is your King Baby Duck Evan, AFLM, John Star. And let's see what this closing line is that John Star is typing in the chat. Said if you let's see. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my God, that is good. Thank you. All right. All right. This is our new tagline. Reminding you that if you're gonna chase your dreams, make sure, make you, sure you run amok. Make sure you run amok. Let's right, try it. Sure run amok. Let, let's try that <laughs> one more time. If you're gonna chase your dreams, make, make sure, sure you, run, you amok. run amok. It's never gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Okay, okay bye. bye. <laughs>